welcome to this um, this first seven days of a, a longer retreat. I know some of you will be here for just seven days and some will be staying for 16. When we were asked to consider offering a retreat here and a longer retreat, um, we were also requested to consider um, a topic or to uh, spice it up a little or to, to offer something a little different even that then uh, is, has usually been offered here, which is either just Vipassana retreat and occasionally a metta followed by a Vipassana retreat. And so in discussing the options, of course the Dharma is vast and the Buddha's teachings are equally vast and there's any number of worthy topics to to spend a week or more with practicing with and and, and coming to know more intimately through uh, hearing about and practicing but the reason we chose the paramis as a topic for this retreat is um, there's, there's a few reasons and I want to share them with you because I think it's important uh, to have an understanding of why we're dealing with the paramis. My name is Steve Armstrong, for those of you who don't know yet. And to my right is uh, Kamala Masters. And to my left is Annie Nugent. And we have been all been practicing for probably 30 years, I'm guessing, and, and teaching for half that and Annie more recently. And so we have an intimate familiarity with the paramis, which are called the forces of purity. And it's said that when the bodhisattva, or when the ascetic Sumedha, made the vow to become a Buddha, and by making that vow became a bodhisattva, it is said that at that time he recognized what the journey ahead would require. And the journey ahead for any bodhisattva is to perfect the forces of purity in the heart. And the forces of purity are the paramis. Now, lest we think that the paramis are some esoteric or uh, indecipherable or uh, exotic uh, qualities or capacities unknown to us, let me reassure you that they're very common and ordinary uh, qualities which we all know already. And when we look to any anyone that we know who we consider a good human being, they will exhibit these qualities like Generosity, being patient, being understanding and loving, balanced and not too reactive, living simply, being able to do without, not insisting on their own way, and being interested in living in harmony with one another. 
These qualities, generosity, kindness, understanding, balance, being energetic, they're not particularly Buddhist in their nature. They're not even religious or even spiritual. They're just the qualities that we would recognize in anyone as you know, good, good human qualities. But what makes them so special in the, the, the journey of awakening is that when someone takes to develop these qualities to the force or to the power that they're able to lay the foundation for awakening, then we purify the heart of greed, hatred, and delusion. So in this way, all of these qualities of mind are forces of purity because they're not contaminated with any form of greed, aversion, or confusion or delusion. In the Theravada Buddhist tradition, which is currently practiced in Burma, Thailand, Sri Lanka, and that the tradition we practice and teach from is also in the Theravada tradition, there are ten paramis. In other Buddhist traditions, they're sometimes only identified as six. Nevertheless, um, there's not a big distinction between them. Any force that purifies the mind of attachment or greed, hatred or aversion, delusion or confusion, uh, will have to be developed as one fulfills the requirements for awakening. The reason we're offering the paramis in the first retreat is there's also a reason for that. And that is that the paramis, or as we strengthen our heart by developing the paramis, we prepare the soil of our mind or our heart for insight. We could say that the paramis are the foundation upon which insight occurs. To the extent that the paramis are developed in one's heart, patient, understanding, non-reactive, loving, truthful, insight can occur. Where I practiced in Burma and the meditation center where the tradition, this tradition of practice comes from, they have an understanding that the meditation center was set up for lay people, people who, like yourself, who have family obligations, social obligations, civic obligations, careers, financial responsibilities, and don't have the time to live and practice as monks and nuns do most of their time. Nevertheless, if we undertake the practices of the paramis while living our ordinary householder's lifestyle, we can develop the heart 
so that when we have occasion to go on an intensive retreat or a silent retreat or to develop more continuity in our mindfulness, then we can gain the depth of insight that the development of our paramis will allow. And so the understanding in Burma is live your life. Your practice in your household life are the paramis. Is there ever a day goes by when you don't have the opportunity to practice patience or to practice truthfulness or to practice understanding or just letting go? We have these opportunities every day. Almost every moment of every day we have the opportunity to exercise and consciously bring to awareness one of the paramis, if not all of them. And in this way, we, can, we don't have to change our lifestyle. We don't have to do something different. We don't have to walk around uh, in our life, slow motion, in silence. We just need to be aware of the opportunity to be patient, truthful, loving, understanding, kind. And by doing so, we prepare our heart for insight. I like to think of it not just preparing the heart for insight, but it's developing the capacity to withstand the knowledge of freedom. Because the knowledge of freedom is intense. Being free, being able to be open and responsive to every condition that your life might bring to you takes a, takes a lot of stamina, it takes a lot of steadiness of the heart, it takes a lot of self-knowledge. And it's these qualities of mind, the paramis, which strengthen your heart, stabilize your heart, so that you can open to, fully acknowledge, and be with all the experiences of your life. Without denial, without dismissing, without minimizing, without turning away, without fearing, but openly receiving what life has to offer. So in Burma, they, they encourage lay people to live your life 10, month, 10 months a year. And when you have the opportunity, as, as many people do in Burma, they get the two months of summer off because it's too hot to do anything else. And so they go to the monastery kind of to chill out. And so they practice the paramis for 10 months, and they go and practice intensive insight, vipassana, for two months each year. Over the course of a lifetime of doing that, from they start at age 13 and they practice like that as long as they can, gradually the paramis purify the mind and the insight deepens one's understanding. Gradually. It would be better for us to think of meditation as a marathon rather than a hundred yard dash. Because the effects of meditation are profound. They're transformative. They're transcendent. And it's not something that we can kind of get from a book or get on a weekend. But it's something that if we understand what we're doing and why we're doing it, and we apply our energy in that direction, slowly but surely, we'll make progress in purifying our heart, deepening our understanding, and freeing our mind. And so this week, this first week, is to 
lay out some of the foundation for the development of insight. Lay out the understanding of what qualities of mind are necessary for stabilizing our heart, strengthening our heart, so that we have the stamina and the understanding, the capacity to receive each moment's experience with understanding, without fear, without clinging. So the first part of this retreat, or one part of it, is the development of the paramis. The understanding of the paramis, the practices of the paramis, and just the experience of the paramis in your own, in your own life. The second area of, the second topic of this retreat is concentration. Now, there are retreats that are just pure concentration retreats. Sometimes it's just practicing awareness of the breath at the nostrils. Sometimes it's concentration through just practicing metta or loving-kindness. Sometimes uh, different, different teachers have different techniques for developing concentration. But I want to be really clear with you at the beginning of this retreat what we're, what we're talking about and what we're aiming for. Like on any other retreats that you have taken, primarily we're here to develop awareness, mindfulness. Mindfulness is awareness. Awareness is about not forgetting to be present for your life. Not forgetting. That's what awareness is about. Just being aware that this is what's happening right now. It's not limited to the breath or the sensations of the legs and walking, while each of those may be used as a primary object. Really, awareness is about anything that's happening to you, anything that you're experiencing while you're sitting, while you're walking, while you're eating, while you're going to the toilet, while you're talking to someone, while you're doing your yogi job, while you're listening to a Dharma talk. Being aware, not forgetting that you're here. Something's happening. What is it? And being aware of that. It's not about narrowing the focus of your attention to some minute area of sensation in the body. That's not necessary for awareness. You're sitting in the hall, you're listening to what's being said. Are you aware that you're listening, that you're hearing? That's awareness. That's mindfulness. It is the continuity of awareness that collects the mind and makes it stable. That stability is concentration. It is the continuity of awareness that collects the mind, that makes it stable. That stability of mind is concentration. Concentration, I say that because many of us have 
a, an understanding, and I'll call it a wrong understanding, that concentration is about focusing the mind down onto some little or singular experience. Just a certain sound, just a certain uh, vision, or just a certain sensa- area of sensation, or just a certain thought, like in metta. While those may be useful techniques for developing concentration, they're not concentration in and of themselves. Concentration, or the collectedness of mind, comes from the continuity of awareness. So, relax. Stay open and be aware. The more continuous your awareness, the more collected and concentrated the mind will become. In time, it is the collectedness of the mind which shows you the details of your life, which gets below the surface of what's going on in your life, what's going on in your body, what's going on in your mind. Just like a microscope that becomes more powerful and sees through the superficial appearance of things, the collected mind sees through the appearance of things into the depth so that we can gain some insight into the way things are. Sight from within the experience rather than the superficial appearance of the experience. So it is through this collectedness of the mind which we'll develop in the first week that we will then turn our attention to look more deeply in the second retreat to develop the insight, vipassana, that is so liberating. So during the first week, we'll be developing the paramis as the foundation for awakening by being as continuous as possible and just being aware of whatever's happening. And it's through that continuity that we'll then turn our attention towards developing the right understanding of the way things are in the second week of the retreat. There are ten paramis, generosity, morality, renunciation, wisdom, energy, patience, truthfulness, resoluteness, loving-kindness, and equanimity. We'll be speaking about each one of them individually and separately during this retreat. And so tonight, as a way of uh, introducing the paramis and a way of setting the container of the retreat, I want to speak about Sila. Sila is ethical conduct, morality, living in harmony with one another. It is a powerful force in our life. It is the purification of our speech and behavior out of respect for ourselves and each other so as not to harm. Normally on a retreat like this, we we take the refuges and the precepts. The refuges are kind of an alignment of our aspiration, our intention with awakening, with the truth, with the community of like-minded people, the Buddha, awakening, 
the Dharma, the truth, the community is the Sangha. And so we take refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha as a way of all kind of reaffirming our aspiration in being here, to awaken, to know things, to know things as they are, to come to the truth, and to share this space with one another. But the second part of the refuges and precepts, the precepts are the communal agreements that allow us to be here living in harmony with one another. The work we do in awakening is, is demanding, as, as all of you know, I'm sure, to openly acknowledge what's going on in our hearts, in our minds, in our bodies, in our life. It's sometimes challenging, it's threatening, it's, it's, it's fearful, it's, it's, you know, we feel ashamed sometimes, we feel nervous, we feel excited, we feel all kinds of energies, sometimes very intensely. And so, in order to go into that process of gently opening the mind, opening the heart, to let it reveal all of its joys, sorrows, its pains, its fears, so that we can see them and let them go, it takes being in a very safe place. A retreat is, is designed to create that safe place, a safe physical place, a safe psychic place, a safe emotional place, a, a safe place to do the work of the heart. And so when we talk about creating the container of a retreat, John, who just spoke, talked about the retreat for, for us is it's not just this room, it's not just this building, it's wherever you go in the next week while you're here. That's part of the retreat. That's part of the, the physical space of this retreat. Even if you're walking the loop, you're walking in the forest, you're walking down the road, that's part of the physical space of this retreat. The emotional space of the retreat, same. It's kind of whatever, whatever emotion you come across in your heart, that's part of the retreat. Whatever experience you have in your body is part of this retreat. It's how to, to, to see everything as an opportunity for being awake, for being aware, for, being, for, recogni- for recognizing, oh, this is, this is your life. It's nothing but. So everything you experience in the next week is within the container of silence, sincerity, Trying to, be, trying to be truthful with yourself, with others, and to try to live in, in harmony with yourself and, and in harmony with one another. So in the, the practice of sila, in this purifica- purification of the mind, or purification of our speech, purification of our behavior, we're trying to eliminate the grossest forms of greed, hatred, and delusion. And the way we do that on retreat is by taking the precepts. The precepts are guidelines for behavior. Rather than commandments, I like to see them as guidelines because if we look at them very carefully and, we, and as we practice them, we'll see that the precepts come from a very wise, 
and compassionate understanding of suffering and the causes of suffering. The first precept is the is a training, really. It's not a commandment, it's not something you have to jam yourself up with, but it's a it's a willingness to undertake a training to refrain from killing. For most of us that won't be too difficult. But there may be mosquitoes out now. I'm not sure what this what season this is here in, in Massachusetts, but it's either black flies, mosquitoes, horse flies, moose flies, bear flies, something. I'm sure there'll be something. There's no snow on the ground. So there's, there's got to be something out there. And so we just want to be, we want to sensitize ourselves to life around us and to be really uh, aware of how we can not harm others through carelessness. And that includes the other beings that we share this, this retreat space with, in the buildings, outside the buildings, wherever you are. It's a training. It's, it's an aspiration, really. We undertake the aspiration to, to, to try not to kill, to try not to harm. Hopefully you'll succeed at that, but you might not. We don't have to feel guilty about that. You have to recognize that, though. And, and then reaffirm your aspiration, your commitment to the training. Again, I undertake the training to refrain from harming by killing. The second precept is to, and of course the, the, the purifying the, our behavior of actions that kill is to get a handle on our aversion. Mostly we, we kill things because they bother us. You know, mosquitoes are bothering us and, you know, whatever, snakes and things we, you know, we, don't, we don't like them, we fear them, we have some aversion in the mind, and so we want to get rid of that source of unpleasantness in our life. But by, by taking the precepts and, and practicing with not killing, we're really purifying our behavior of aversion. The second precept is to undertake the training to refrain from stealing from taking what is not offered, from taking what is not given or what is not yours. Most of us are not thieves. Most of us are not going to take anything uh, of any value, I hope. Uh, But nevertheless, as we sensitize ourselves to just what does that mean to, to undertake the training to refrain from harming others by not taking... What is not offered? Well, even if we're not stealing, we might look at how much of the earth's resources we need to live on this week and to just use what's necessary, and that's it. To live as simply as we can so that others can also, will, will not be inconvenienced, really, by how much we use. It's really living simply, isn't it? It's really taking the opportunity to you know, live with just what's necessary so that others will be able to live and have what is necessary also. Again, it's, it's from caring about ourselves and others. It's from uh, a purif- purifying our heart of greed, need. Un, 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 unnecessary needs and greed and just kind of wanting more and more. And 
you know, as you know, there's no end to wanting. You know, just no matter how much you have, it's still not enough. Very few of us have reached the limit of what we want. Most of us still have things in our mind, in our hearts, that we think we need, that we want. Can't live without. We'll be happier with it once we get. That's greed. That's attachment. And when we undertake the training to refrain from uh, taking, using, acquiring what's, what's uh, either not ours or not offered or not given, or in this case, a more, a more refined level of what's not necessary, that will purify our behavior somewhat of attachment, greed. And so these, these precepts are really purifying the mind, purifying our heart for the period of time that we can you know, undertake these trainings. The third training is to refrain from, or to take the training to refrain from acting out sexual energy. There's nothing wrong with sexual energy, except that it cultivates, or for many people, it comes with a lot of attachment, a lot of greed, a lot of identification. And sometimes the result of that is a lot of pain. A lot of confusion, a lot of you know, uh, insecurity in, in our relationships. And so while on this retreat, one way to begin to look at and really to come to understand more deeply how your sexual energy moves your mind is to just take a period of training to not act it out. Purify your behavior of that action. Fourth precept is to undertake the training to refrain from speaking falsely. This in itself is one of the is also one of the paramis, truthfulness. It's it's undertaking a commitment to the truth. It is said that when the ascetic Sumedha became a bodhisattva, made the aspiration, made the vow to become a Buddha and thereby became a bodhisattva, it is said from that moment on, while he broke all the other precepts, he didn't break this one. That along with that vow came the commitment to always speak the truth. Now I might ask you, have you made such a vow in your life to always speak the truth? Most of us have not. But then I could ask you, well, are you a liar? And most of us would not, have, would not want to say, yes, I am. Well, we haven't made a commitment to the truth and we don't want to see ourselves as a liar. So where are we? We're somewhere in the middle where you know, truthful when it's convenient, and uh, well, if it's not convenient, maybe not. That's not the that's not the the training. The training is to to try to speak the truth, to undertake a training, and to realize it's a training because our heart is not yet there, where it can always speak the truth. But as a training, we can extend ourselves. We can we can we can pay closer attention to how we <laughs> exaggerate. We shade the truth. We we kind of <laughs> try to make ourselves look good in the eyes of others. 
that may be not enough for awakening. That may not be uh, pure enough for awakening. Awakening is awakening to the truth, the way things are. And to speak the truth and to make a commitment to speak the truth supports that awakening. So each one of us should consider how we can undertake this precept as a training and and to be fully uh, aware of the times when we're uh, when we're not, so that we can we can recognize that in ourselves that there's a limit there. There's some fear. There's some greed. There's some attachment. There's some identification that we don't want to get threatened. The fifth precept is to uh, undertake a training to refrain from the use of intoxicants, substances which which cloud and befuddle the mind. Normally, it's uh, drugs uh, and alcohol, things that, 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 that distort the mind's perceptions. Now, many of us probably have have have, have used drugs recreationally, and there's, there's a time and place for that. This is not a judgment of that. And many of us at either currently or at other times have had prescriptions for, for drugs which, which do affect the mind, cloud the mind or clarify the mind or, or change it in some way. And this, this precept is not about that. This precept is about... Um, you know, taking some drugs that kind of, or, or cloud the minds for, for entertainment or for, uh, you know, avoiding certain experiences in the mind or the body. And it would be better if we could, could try to see them clearly. Just to try to see, this, this is the way it is in the body, this is the way it is in the mind, this is the way it is in the heart. To see things with some honesty. It's hard enough to see clearly. It's much harder when the mind is befuddled or clouded with some uh, chemicals or drugs, alcohol. So each of these precepts is a purification of the mind or our speech or our behavior, purifying uh, them of greed or attachment or identification, purifying our speech and behavior of aversion, purifying our speech and behavior of some confusion as much as we can. Each day we will, we will remind ourselves of our commitment, our aspiration to, to practice these trainings and we'll be chanting the refuges and precepts each morning at the beginning of the sitting before breakfast. I think there's a sitting at 5.30. Yeah, at 5.30, then we'll chant the refuges and precepts as a way of practicing this parami of sila, undertaking these trainings, purifying our speech and behavior. I mentioned that as we 
practice and, and really investigate the, the commitment or the training of the precepts, living in harmony with one another, we began to see that they really come from not just a place of, I'm the authority, do what I say, but they really come from a place of deep caring about our own heart and how we affect others. And these two qualities are, in the Buddhist understanding of mind, called hiri and otapa. Hiri is the quality of knowing within yourself what is right and wrong. Right and wrong meaning what causes your heart to stay open and connected to the world and what causes your heart to contract and shut down and close off from the world. Because as the mind or the heart can stay open, no, there's less suffering. When the heart or the mind contracts, closes, and shuts down, there's suffering. On this path of awakening to suffering, the causes of suffering, and the end of suffering, it requires keeping the heart open and being able to recognize in your own experience what causes that. So it's awakening ourselves to to recognize when we say or do something that causes the mind to contract. And when we undertake the precepts and practice them, while it may be difficult to practice them, it is allowing the mind or encouraging the mind to stay open and acknowledge that this is the way it is for me. And the second quality is, is... to recognize the to recognize the community which you value and you might ask well who's your community is it a geographical community is it a spiritual community is it a you know a philosophical community who who is your community your community is those people that you care how they think about you If you care about how somebody thinks about you, they're part of your community. And so when we, when we you know, look at our speech and behavior and we want to see how it's going to be received by others, who do we look to? Is it an okay thing for me to do or not do? If this person that I care about knew this about me, how would I feel? That'll give you some idea of who your community is, and the power of keeping your, your mind and heart, your speech and behavior pure so that we can, with full openness, live in our community without shame, without fear, without fear of judgment or punishment or retribution or uh, self-reproach. So important to be able to live openly with ourselves, amongst others. Practicing sila, practicing this parami, this careful consideration of our heart and its effect, and our, the effect of our speech and behavior on others. It's so important for doing that. It takes a lot of 
understanding, really, to, to practice. It takes a lot of uh, training. It takes a lot of reminding ourselves of why we're doing it, how we're doing it, recognizing when we fail and beginning again. But it's wisdom that inclines towards the good. And while it is not attached to it, it can still see what is good. It shies away from what is not good. Wisdom or understanding shies away from what is not good, but it has no aversion to it. It sees this is not a skillful thing to do. And when we see that something is not skillful to do and we're afraid to do it, that fear is not aversion. That fear is wisdom. When we understand this is a dangerous neighborhood in our heart, in our speech, in our behavior, and we choose not to go there because we're afraid of what will happen. That's wisdom speaking to you. Wisdom recognizes the difference between what is skillful and unskillful, and it clearly recognizes the undesirability of the unskillful. That's what we're cultivating through the practice of sila, is recognizing what's skillful and unskillful and shying away from what's unskillful. Inclining towards what is skillful, without attachment, without aversion. Because we know that's what allows the heart to be at ease, to be relaxed, to be open, to be connected. So in the context of the retreat, we'll be taking the refuges and precepts. We'll be practicing living in harmony with one another. We'll be practicing speaking the truth. John mentioned that the retreat will be conducted in what's called noble silence. Noble silence means when it is necessary to speak, to speak that which supports your practice. You may have occasion to speak with us individually, here in the hall, in your private uh, groups, or individually. You may have occasion to speak with uh, the staff around your yogi jobs or in the office. You may have occasion, there may arise an occasion, where you need to speak with one another. But let it be in the context of supporting your practice. Not just social chit-chat, not just speaking out of anxiety or fear or aversion. But if it can support your practice, then it's not the silence that we want to emphasize, it's the nobility that we want to emphasize. We should call it noble speaking. This retreat will be held in noble speaking (laughs) rather than noble silence. So please keep that in mind when you have the opportunity to speak. In addition... It sometimes happens that people on retreat come and they're either tired from living a very busy and overextended life or they don't get enough sleep on retreat or they get over-tranquilized in their meditation practice and they let us know in the hall by the uh, sound of their breathing, which sounds something like this. (laughs) 
like that. So if you happen to be sharing your deep samadhi with us in that way, <laughs> can we have permission to gently remind you? And the way we can do that is to just have the person next to you lightly tap you on the knee or shoulder or someplace where it's just, just to remind you that your tranquility is keeping us awake. <laughs> How's that? <laughs> so if that's okay with each one of you, uh, let's consider it a, a, a community support that will, will help each other stay awake by gently reminding each other that way. Is there anything else? Earlier, before you came in, there were these uh, chanting sheets outside under the bulletin board. Did you all get one? Did anyone get one? No. You can shut the tape off. So, on this is a, on one side, uh, the refuges and precepts in Pali and English, which we'll chant tonight. And on the other side is uh, the list of the paramis and uh, uh, some support for each one of those. So let me just say about the, the refuges and the precepts. Sometimes on retreat, we ask everyone to take five precepts. Sometimes People are interested, they know about, or they're interested in taking what are called the eight precepts, three additional training rules for people on retreat. And while we don't uh, encourage you, we don't discourage you from taking them. Those of you who've practiced in Asia, you know you have practiced with eight precepts, or those of you who've practiced with uh, Burmese or Thai monks have also practiced with eight precepts. But the additional three precepts are, one is to refrain from eating solid food after the noontime meal, which would be to not eat whatever's offered at tea time. But you could, offer, you could take a drink, uh, liquid uh, refreshment, but not the solid food. The seventh precept is to refrain from singing, dancing, uh, going to shows, Wearing flowers and unguents and beautifying yourself, either distracting, entertaining, or distracting yourself or beautifying yourself in any way. Not so difficult for us here. There's, there, there's going to be no movies. There's no dancing. There's, but nevertheless, if you wanted to take that as a precept, you could do that. And the eighth precept is to refrain from the use of high and luxurious beds and chairs. It is impossible to break that precept here <laughs> because there are not that many high and luxurious beds and chairs. But if you wanted to take that, you might consider what that would mean for you, how you could undertake that training and have it be some sort of extending yourself or, or, or pushing the edge. And it might be that you wouldn't sit in any of the, uh, the upholstered chairs. 
maybe you just sit in the, in the straight wooden chairs, just as a way of uh, refraining from that luxury, hmm? indulging in that attachment. Or you might, uh, in sleeping, you might uh, say, okay, I'm only going to sleep at night. You know, when I lay down, I'm going to sleep. When I get up, that's it. No more naps during the day. Just not going to use the bed during the day. If that's a way that you wanted to take, undertake that precept, then that would be a way to extend yourself in taking it. And we're not you know, encouraging you or asking you to take them, but if you wish, you may. So everyone now has a chanting sheet. Okay. So let me just ask for the kitchen's purposes. Are there, are any of you planning on taking the eight precepts for the duration of the retreat? Okay, hold your hand up so I can see for a minute. One, two, three, four, five. It looks like five for the full retreat. Anyone can take the, the additional three precepts for a day or two days or as long or as short as you want. But for those who have made a commitment, then I encourage you and that, that's noble of you. So tonight, first time through, I will chant a word or a phrase and ask you to repeat it after me. And tonight I will go through all eight precepts. But in the morning, I will only go through the five precepts. And so each one of us can take the five precepts, call and response for the first couple of days. After a couple of days when you know the refuges and precepts, we'll just chant them in unison. Okay? So please repeat after me. Namo, namo, tasa bhagavato, tasa bhagavato, arahato, arahato, samma sambodasa, samma sambodasa, namo, namo, tasa bhagavato, tasa bhagavato, Arahato, arahato, samma sambodasa, samma sambodasa, namo, namo, tasa bhagavato, tasa bhagavato, arahato, arahato, samma sambodasa, samma sambodasa, budang saranangachami. Udang Sarananga Chami, Damang Sarananga Chami, Damang Sarananga Chami, Sanghang Sarananga Chami, Sanghang Sarananga Chami, Dutiampi Budang Sarananga Chami, Dutiampi Budang Sarananga Chami, Dutiampi damang sarananga chami. Dutiampi damang sarananga chami. Dutiampi sanghang sarananga chami. Dutiampi sanghang sarananga chami. Dutiampi budang sarananga chami. 
Datiampi Udang Saranangachami Datiampi Damang Saranangachami Datiampi Damang Saranangachami Datiampi Sanghang Saranangachami Datiampi Sanghang Saranangachami Panatipata Panati pata, we ramani, we ramani, sika badang, sika badang, samadiyami, samadiyami, adina dana, adina dana, we ramani, we ramani, sika badang, sika badang, samadiyami, samadiyami, abramacharya. Abramacharya we ramani, we ramani, sika badang, sika badang, samadhyami, samadhyami. Musawada, musawada we ramani, we ramani, sika badang, sika badang, samadhyami, samadhyami. Sura Maria, Sura Maria. Majapamadatana, Majapamadatana, We Ramani, We Ramani, Sika Badang, Sika Badang, Samadhyami, Samadhyami. And for those of you who are taking the additional three precepts, Vikala Bojana, Vikala Bojana, We Ramani, We Ramani, Sika Badang, Sika Badang, Samadhyami. Madhyami Nacha Nacha Gita Gita Wadita Wadita Visuka Dasana Visuka Dasana Malaganda Malaganda Vilepana Vilepana Dharana Dharana Mandana Mandana Vibhusanatana Vibhusanatana We Ramani We Ramani Sika Badang Kabadan Samadhyami Samadhyami Uchasayana Uchasayana Mahasayana Mahasayana We Ramani We Ramani Sikabadang Sikabadan Samadhyami Samadhyami Now all of us Irang me silang Irang me silang Magapalanyanasa Magapalanyanasa Pachayo Pachayo Hotu Thank you for choosing to spend the next week developing your forces of purity and the stability of your mind.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.